When things get darkest, we must be our brightest. We must love our hardest. You're listening to Better, and I'm your host, Mark Brand. I deeply believe that everyone has the power to leave the planet a better place than they found it. In my decades of frontline work, I've seen it happen against all odds in the toughest corners of the world. This show was created as a guide to share stories of resilience and hope from the brightest individuals who have overcome challenges we all face to help us all envision and build a better life. Every week, my incredible guests and I will give you access to the conversations we've been having behind closed doors, away from stages, and away from traditional media. Until now, we share this space with the explicit intention to empower you to be your biggest, brightest, most beautiful self, so we can build a better world together. Welcome to Better. In today's conversation with my guest and dear friend, Jan Arden, whom the rest of you know from smash songs like I Would Die For You and Insensitive, Jan's a multi-platinum award-winning singer, songwriter, actor, author, animal rights activist, and beloved Canadian and global citizen. I know Jan for her unwavering support of my work, of our work as a Better Life Foundation, and just how she shows up so hard for the people who need us most. Today, she helps us see how she built a better life for herself and so many others. We get to go into her safe spaces, places she created growing up in a chaotic childhood home with alcoholism and a desire to heal through music. We'll also hear stories about coping with the loss of loved ones, learning to ask for help when we need it, and so much more. Hello, friend. Hello. Hello, Mark Brand. So I'd love you to introduce yourself to us in the way that feels most true for you today. I would say Jan, the friend, the animal lover, the road walker, the vegan, the gets into trouble on Twitter at least once a week person, (laughs) the hopeful... um, Hopeful soul, um, peacemaker for the most part, collaborator, all those things, uh, you know, and then throw in a good healthy dose of screw up, fail, failing professional. I'm very, very good at failing. And uh, yeah, that's kind of wraps up, you know, a, a, a life so far. Just getting started by all accounts as well into this next chapter and that chapter being living exactly that way. And so something I really wanted to talk about today, and it just kept coming up for me over and over again, getting ready for this conversation with you is living in the public eye is incredibly unrelatable. And I think we have the opportunity to make it relatable today, which is that wherever you become centered in a cause, whether that's your kids lacrosse team, whether it's the, I'm in charge of the fundraiser for the school, whether it's sitting on the board for your building, your apartment complex, you then have a different lens or responsibility put on you. Celebrity takes that up to 100x. And as you engage with critical causes that you care about, there's a lot of energy that comes your way that you either need to learn to diffuse or to engage or both. And you said it about Twitter. What's that like for you on a day-to-day? Well, I think it's a miraculous thing, really. I mean, as negative as it seems sometimes, I have found it incredibly 
useful for so many things. I mean, the gathering of like-minded people, bringing attention, you know, for a perfect example would be a, a campaign that I've been working with the Canadian Horse Defense Coalition for the last couple of years, the Horse Campaign. I think when we started pounding the messaging to the export of live horses 18 months ago, very few people knew about it. Sure. But Twitter has changed the game. So, you know, without going into that, but so to, if you have a platform like that, that you want to get the word out, and of course with Twitter, you can, you can do 40 tweets a day if you want. It, it all depends on what your time is like. Um, but it really, <laughs> I've been in trouble a few times. I say stupid things all the time. But I mean, here's an example. In, I've been a, a member of Twitter since 2009 and I've blocked almost 10,000 people. Amazing. Amazing work. Well, I mean, some people don't block. I do. I don't even. I don't even waste a moment. I didn't. I used to just sort of suffer quietly when people were, like you said, with fame. If they said ridiculous things to me, or went after body image, or the ideas that I had, or any anything, I would just sort of suffer quietly. And and then a friend of mine said to me one day, "You should just block them." And I'm like, "Is that an option?" Yes. I didn't even know that was an option. The biggest option. So yeah. The biggest button next yeah. to the send button should be the block button. And we say this to people yeah. all the time. In your digital world, you're not shutting yourself off. The argument for the troll, of course, is, oh, well, you're just now you're living in an echo chamber. It's like, no, I'm just living in a place of peace and love. I love different opinions. I just don't want to hear your abuse. Those are very different yeah. things. Very, very yeah. different things. Oh, it is. But it, it is fun. I have a lot of laughs. You know, I think every social media platform, I'm sure you would agree, Mark, has its own personality. I find Instagram to be, you know, pretty chill. People are quite nice on there. It's not like Facebook can be very uh, confrontational, lots of different ideas, lots of weird news things and lots of stuff that gets passed around and it's not really real and true. And, you know, I think people are finally learning that the internet is not the greatest place to get information, but they all have their own personalities and you do have to learn kind of how to make your way through that. So I've, I've enjoyed it. I, I'm, I'm still learning, but I do enjoy social media a lot. Yeah, I think what's something important for us to, to share of that is it's all choice-based. So where you're, where you're learning the personalities of the platforms, you're also deciding what you want to learn from them. And as lifelong curious folks who are consistently learning, I want to make sure to curate the space so that I'm being consistently challenged in my own thoughts and what I'm doing instead of trying to maintain a status quo because the work we do is challenging said status quo. So being uncomfortable should be comfortable for us. We should be good in that space, but then there's that level of abuse. And so the abuse has to just be a full stop. But where can we join the conversation larger online? So we're decentralized, which is beautiful, like we're doing right in this moment. We're able to have this conversation and share with people. And so some of the things that you advocate for, you mentioned one of them earlier, and I really encourage everybody who's listening with us today to dig in on these unknowns and the horse trade being one that we can actually impact very quickly. So is poverty. So is hunger. So is abuse. So is lack of clean drinking water. You know, there's dozens of things that we'll discuss every time we get into one of these episodes. And you can care about more than one thing at one time. Ooh. And I think people need to of that. I think, uh, you know, getting back to the social media aspect. Oh, you know, the horses, Jan, there's people starving, you know, there's people being abused, there's uh, human trafficking. And my response has been consistent over the last few years. You can care about more than one 
thing. Because I'm obviously focusing my energy on stopping live horse export to Japan certainly does not mean that I don't absolutely care and I'm heartbroken about community issues, global issues, climate change, you know, all of that stuff, poverty, food insecurity, you know, clean drinking water. We've seen that in the last month in, in, with our friends in Nunavut, mm-hmm. you know, suffering, you know, a, an entire community without drinkable water. So I care about that too. And I did a lot of, you know, retweeting about things like that and sending messages and direct messaging people. And so that's, that's where the conversation for me stops. I, I, I will take a moment to explain to people this is actually how it works. And then I move on. Yeah. A hundred percent. So now we know that we're carrying all these things and we know, especially through the pandemic, that we got exposed to a lot of things and folks who aren't in justice work got to see just the depths of racism and misogyny and all the other things that are alive and well. Those depths came and become more heightened. And what the, the challenge was, was how do I continue to function in my day to day life when I know what the systems are? And I think you scratched one of them, which is you can care about more than one thing. But how do you then find the joy and release while knowing that there's injustice in the world? And this is one of the critical tools. And I'd love to know how Jan Arden finds joy and peace amongst all of the controversy and issues. I think where I live has an enormous bearing on that, Mark. I'm fortunate enough that I live in a rural area. I'm surrounded by trees. My house is in a forest. I have land. I have space. Um, I don't hear sirens. I don't have traffic. I walk down my road most days, never seeing another car. Um, And I think that has been uh, such a positive thing in my life. It's affected how I work, how I write, how I think about myself, how I think about my body, how I think about my soul, my religion, my everything comes down to my geography And um, I've learned that for sure over the last 15 years. When I get into a big city, it's it's not my perfect place to be, but I also can take a look at, you know, why it is difficult for people. It's a cacophony. It's always noisy. It's, I, I, it's always go, go, go. It's lights flashing and, you know, you don't see stars. I mean, there's so many things about city living that is important and it's, community and there's so many beautiful things about neighborhoods and you know part of me misses that a little bit but then there's that other part of the city where it's a dangerous place to be because it never you really have to fight for your your time alone most people have no idea how to be alone Mm. and this is that perfect segue because i was going to say a lot of us have the privilege and the choice right and i choose to live part-time on the unceded territories of the Squamish Nation, Musqueam, Suahomas, Tsleil-Waututh peoples here in Vancouver, BC, and the other time directly in cities working on the issues of extreme poverty and marginalization, Mexico City, New York City, all over. But I have to come back here to rest my system and also process everything that I've learned and experienced. Internally, we can learn to do that work too, but we are so caught in escapism and whether that be with drugs and alcohol, which we'll jump into, or with you know the consistent barrage of social media or escapism through all of our different platforms, we don't actually spend enough time sitting with ourselves. So watching you 
exist and live out there in that space. I mean, just as you jumped on, you're like, I just finished feeding the birds. That's incredibly important. It's not a footnote. It's, it's part of how to live a healthy life. And so, you know, what are, what are some of the other processes? Because you, I mean, you've never had this much going on. You've been, had a lot going on forever. You've got a hit TV show. You've got a podcast that's kicking. You're advocating on multiple levels. You give so generously of your time like this day today. How are you balancing all of that stuff out and making sure to know where your limits are? How do you check those limits? We'll be right back with Jan, where she shares with us how to check your limits, how to ask for help when you need it, and admit if you need company when the world is feeling lonely. Here with Jan Arden. You're listening to Better. I'm Mark Brand, and we're hearing how to not let people down and to ask for help when you need it. I mean, you've never had this much going on. You've been had a lot going on forever. You've got a hit TV show. You've got a podcast that's kicking. You're advocating on multiple levels. You give so generously of your time, like this day today. How are you balancing all of that stuff out and making sure to know where your limits are? How do you check those limits? Well, I think I have really good friends. I think that is a major cornerstone to my life. I don't have a lot of friends. I know hundreds and hundreds of people as you do, but my friends are, you know, I can count them on both hands. And um, that, that really hasn't changed over the years. Some of them I've known since I was a kid. And I have, you know, friends that I've certainly made in the last 10 years. As I get older, I find it a little more challenging, a little more difficult to find those connections or maybe it's having the time to nurture those connections you know to have a friend you must be a friend Mm -hmm. and I you know I I like to be able to give of myself so I've learned to say no I I know that there's sometimes that I just can't take more things on because it's not good for me and it's not good for the person that you're letting down so that, that's been a big part of my wellness and my happiness. And I've just learned really since my parents passed away to lean on people too. I've never been good at asking for help. Um, I can be quite, I can be quite in my own head. Mm. And, uh, but I'm better about saying, you know, you want to come over and watch a movie? Do you want to have a meal? I'm just feeling kind of low today and, I feel a little bit sad. I feel down. I'm not sure why, but I could really use the company and tell you what, 10 years ago, I couldn't have said those words. It would have been very difficult for me. As you're saying it, I can feel tightness in my chest, even though I've started to practice it myself, you know, over the last three or four years, I can still feel the anxiety of making that request in a fear that somebody's going to say no. Yeah. In a fear that somebody's not going to be able to show up and then that's going to feel like a whole other set of trauma for me. You know what I mean? Like if I ask yeah. and you don't show up, then, I, then I'm going to have a triggered response to you. So how did you start asking? What did that look like for somebody so ferociously independent? Well, I think it was, you know, those very friends that said, I know it's hard for you to ask for help mm. and smarten up. You've got to lean on us because I ask you for help. You know, I'm always the first person to throw a jacket on and and help somebody, you know, or I, I know I'm that person because I, I like it. It makes me feel good to be in service and to have a purposeful life. Um, 
But on the other hand, like I said, very, very difficult for me to ask in, in turn for that very same help. But I, now I do, uh, I will text or I'll phone or I'll, you know, just say, can I drive over? Or can I pick up a coffee and come sit at your place for a little while? Because I know I have a tendency here to, I can be in this house for two weeks mm-hmm. and not go anywhere. But I work from the house. I, I write a lot. Um, you know, because of the internet, you're always connected. I'm, you know, like you said, I'm podcasting. I'm, I'm, I'm working on season four of the television show. I have a record coming out in January. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that runs up to that release. So it, it never, I'm always kind of engaging, but as far as having human contact or having a hug or any kind of physical interaction in a room with somebody, like I said, I can, it can be two weeks without seeing people. So now I know that I have to be mindful of that. And I do, I have to force myself to get out and go. And I will say, especially since I lost my dog two months ago, I'm even more on the precipice of being alone too much. Mm. Cause with the dog, I never felt like I was by myself. I just didn't. She was five pounds, but she demanded an enormous amount of my time and attention. Right. Right. And again, super sorry for your loss. I think any of us who've been animal owners and that same level of showing up, we know that our animal always shows up a hundred percent of the time. There's never any question if that person's going to be there for us. You know, that entity is there for us consistently and that loss is incredibly, incredibly challenging. So I'm sure all of the listeners as well have either direct experience or adjacent experience. And it's heavy, and I think that people um, don't take the same time to mourn it. That is that yeah. is so important and so true uh, to to the spirit of that relationship. So, um, send up some prayers for you before, and we'll do so again going forward. Do you know what I feel really bad about, Mark? Is that there's so much guilt involved with the sorrow that comes with this dog, and this is why because it was worse for me than losing my parents. Yeah. If someone said to me right now, Jan, you can have one of them come back to see you. I'm like, my friggin' dog, like right now. Right. Right. Isn't that interesting? Let's dig into that a little bit because I think this is a really important <laughs> human piece, right? And because people are like, but that's crazy. Well, no, it's because we've been socially conditioned to f- compare absolutely everything in our lives. We've been socially conditioned that, you know, the capitalism has taught us and everything is comparable. And that we're not allowed to experience what we actually experience. What our emotions actually are are compared to how somebody else or has social normative behavior has dictated. Well, you think that's bad. Right? And it's yeah. – so people say to me every day, and I, without exaggeration, Jan, every day on a meeting, somebody will say, well, it's not as – I have – you know, it was a tough day, but obviously not as bad as the people you serve. And I have to immediately stop them yeah. and be like, here's the thing. Pain is subjective. Everybody's experience is individual. Your pain is as important as somebody else's pain. And the second that you start feeling guilty about feeling bad, like or feeling sad or feeling because there's people who have it worse in the world, that is a <laughs> you you've lost the game. If that's the game you're playing, because yeah. there's no win. There's literally no win. Like I feel bad about no. things and I'm growing up as well. I and mean, you and I are built the very similar way. I had more empathy for animals and for people I didn't know often than I did for people I knew. 
I was like, what is that about? Yeah. I'm like, oh, because I have a, a schedule of experience that I've had with these humans that is creating a bias for me, either in their favor or in, against them, versus <laughs> this animal or this human I don't know who I only show it, like golden light. Yeah. You know, it's a very different thing. Oh, for sure. And people you don't know, no history, no no animosity, no shared trauma. There, All those things are swept off the table. So when you're dealing with the stranger as opposed to the brother or the uncle mm. or the mother, you're like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to go with the strangers. <laughs> I, I'm at, I'm at ground zero here with this person. Yeah. It's a really interesting thing. Well, you bring up such a great point too, Mark. You've just absolutely, you've just gotten into my brain. Stay with us. In the next segment, we're going to hear Jan share about the difficulties of growing up in a challenging household and how she set herself free from the responsibility of managing the energy around it by creating her own world within music. You're listening to Better, and we're here with the legendary Jan Arden. She's sharing her incredibly valuable insights on questioning her own identity and how she overcame that struggle. Most of us know that one all too well. I remember mom saying to me, because my dad was an alcoholic, mm -hmm. and the way our family perceived him, there was so much trauma attached to his behavior and his coming and going from the house. But the way the neighbors perceived him, they loved him. Yeah. He was always helpful. He was the guy there building fences and pouring concrete and, and dropping off Chinese food. And they just, they didn't see who we saw. Mm -hmm. And for my mom, it was so difficult because you felt like this lie was wandering around representing himself. But the rest of us, we, we all suffered silently because of how he was. Right. That, that, that makes perfect sense, how you set that up. Yeah. And also, I think as you're saying that, all of us can relate in some way to the multiple masks that we wear. Right? Until yeah. we break through. I mean, you and I, from our first conversation have kind of like just put all our cards on the table in the last five years. You know, like you can't dig anything up on me because I'm showing it all to you all the time. Here it is. I don't, I don't want to hide behind any of this stuff anymore. And being um, in, in forward-facing media will do that to a human. Or somebody will dig in deeper and be extra nice to the neighbors. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's yeah. hard for people to discern, but also in that interpersonal relationship, because you feel like you're carrying the narrative for the family. You're carrying that for your partner. You're carrying that for your boss, your loved one in those abusive relationships, and we just got those stats, one in four women, one in seven men domestically are being abused by a partner. They're carrying that same narrative of like, this person's wonderful and they have to watch the world either loud them, you know, and have to, to carry those emotions. So we don't have that when we don't have familiarity. And also one of the reasons as creatives, why we isolate. Because sometimes you just need reprieve from all that shit. It's like, for me to do what I need to do, I just need to be away. And I believe that we all need that reprieve and that we learned about it a lot more during the pandemic that isolation, yes, is the single cause, biggest cause of in addiction and instability. But it is also, on the other hand, we know there can be multiple truths in this, a necessary recharge and reprieve from interpersonal energy. 
So where's the balance point? And I, I, to hear you talk about searching for that is really powerful. And I'm sure for everybody who's listening, it is. Well, for the first time in history, the world had a shared experience with COVID. Mm. And, you know, the lockdowns obviously weren't timed out globally. One country would open up, another one would shut down. But what did happen within that last 18 months, for me anyway, people did so much personal work because for the first time in their lives, they weren't getting in their car at five in the morning and driving to an office and sharing that communal space and doing that. I mean, yes, everyone was working from home, but they were also with their children more than they probably had been in a decade. They were cooking meals for each other. They were understanding about food in a way that they'd never understood it before. They walked into empty grocery stores. They walked into places where they had no toilet paper or flour. You know, for the first time, most people actually experienced what real life really was like for so many millions of people. That part. So, so important. We've been in this bubble, and I think this conversation is just growing. The Venn diagram of this conversation is all crossing into truth <laughs> because it's, it's all the same thing. So this circle just went out into the Western world or the Americanized world experiences life in a very different way than the rest of the world does. And if you've traveled and seen that stuff and you've touched it firsthand and said, wow, this is so different. This must be isolated to a Somalia. And then you're in a Reykjavik or you're in a, you know, in Darwin. And you're like, wait, a lot of these problems are similar, which are supply chain, poverty. Oh, this is a global issue. And this global issue is very much built on what we know as modern day capitalism and the issues behind it, which are like, we're not. A convenient. Yeah, of convenience and disposable. Yeah, a convenient disposable life and. You know, people were finally going, man, we're not throwing that out. We need to save that soup. I don't know if your dad's going to be able to go to the grocery store. There wasn't, there was no bananas there last time he was there. Yeah. I mean, it didn't last long, but it was long enough. I don't think anyone in, if, if there's a 50 year old man out there, I don't think they've ever in their life walked into a grocery store and seen all the vegetables gone, all the vitamins gone, no meat, no, all the beans were gone. All the pasta yeah. was gone. Everything of people really thought. They didn't know what to think. So I've learned a lot from my convenient life. I learned, uh, I have a much better respect for food. Not that I feel like I didn't because I grew up, we always had a garden. I've always had a garden my whole life. So I grow food. I, I have enough potatoes probably for eight months out in my little cold room out in the yard. Um, you know, I've, I've got stuff and I, I share it with the neighbors. I bring them baskets and everyone's so happy for that. But, but to see that, I felt like it was an important step forward for people and myself included. I learned things about myself. I learned how resilient I was. I learned how to somehow put my fear on the table and look at it. And, you know, because I had unknown things and I had to cancel all my shows and, I had to figure out who I was without my work. Who am I without my work? Oof, what a beautiful problem. What am I without Yeah, what what am I without singing a song, standing in front of people? What am I without any kind of notoriety or fame? It has no power in the world of COVID. None. Mm. It had no relevance. It wasn't going to get me 
a bag of yeast or a roll of toilet paper. It was going to, it had nothing. So I learned, it was humbling. It was very humbling. Not a beautiful, beautiful share. And what a way to look, right? It's also to say, and I bang this drum all the time, so I'm super activated now. I've got a hundred things to say, but the two things that I will share, it's, is that one thing that I talk about daily is your community is your only safety. Your, your community yes. is your only external safety. So if you are isolated from the people who are in the streets and around you and your providers and the people who are close to you, when critical things happen, that is who you immediately turn to and who turns to you. And so that being building those relationships and being with them is incredibly important. And the other one being, and this is a day to day, if the community is unwell, we're all unwell. Yep. So if there is people who are suffering, we feel it, we onboard it. We want to do something about it. It affects our cumulative mental health. It's all there. And we get to learn more about that and then feel like, oh my God, I feel trapped. But those who are working in advocacy and justice work, a lot of us were like, this is our moment. This is the yes. moment that we've waited for. It's terrible circumstances for it, but I have your undivided attention. We dug into waste food, Jen, and you know this because you helped us with it last December, yeah. but we've now recovered 27 tons with three people out of grocery quote unquote waste, which I call leftovers because everybody wants to eat leftovers. Nobody wants to eat waste. And we bang out, you know, thousands of meals a week just out of stuff that would normally go in the trash. Now, yeah. without this accumulative experience, I'll speak about this globally, but I wouldn't have dug into it. I would not have spent the time going, oh my God, we need to feed more people. We don't have any more money. Neither does anybody else. What do we do? It's like, oh, the resource is there. While there might not be any bananas, boy, there's way too much coleslaw. <laughs> what do we do with <laughs> coleslaw? We make stir fry. We got lots of it. You know, meat yeah. has a very short shelf life. People don't have the money for meat right now. It's a little too expensive. Cool. So some of it's going to go to waste. We'll take all of it and we'll make delicious food and get it out to people. That's innovation in the time, but it's also exploration of self, of your community, of the network of community. What can we do um, to be able to show up? And I think you're, when you share, what am I without all of this? You know, I think the answer that people also have at home is like, wow, either you're just starting that exploration, you're mid it, or you're definitive in it, which is for me, I'm a, a peer leader. You know, I'm a community driven person. I am, I'm a great neighbor. You know, I'm an advocate. You know, I have answers that I care about that feel really true to me. And then, of course, my forward-facing personality has a resume attached to it. You call that your LinkedIn. <laughs> That's the part that other people yeah. care about. It's not really the part I care about, much to sometimes the chagrin of my teams. But, you know, it really is about, like, who are you as a human? Which is one of the key reasons I wanted to have you as the very first guest, because you're a human that I consistently look to as a northern light of showing up in truth and authenticity, not for the sake of, but because it's true for you in the moment and being able to allow people to see themselves in that is incredibly important as a leader. And I use this word intentionally as an icon to say, I am this, and this is, I, you started with failure today. You know, this is, this is how I'm living and this is what's important for me. And if it's comfortable for you, I'd love to dig a little bit deeper into um, your decision to show up for yourself in sobriety, how your relationship with your dad may have affected that, the interweaving of the relationship of music. I think that's something that's I love speaking to you about, and I think that everybody would love to hear about. Okay, the toolbox is filling up. 
In the next segment with Jan, we talk about the masks we wear to protect ourselves and what happens when we have the compassion for the different us's we pick up in life. This is Better. I'm Mark Brand, and we're here with my dear friend and ally, the incredible Jan Arden. back on better and we're here with jan arden icon musician animal rights activist and the list goes on but most importantly human being in this segment she frames the gift of getting older for all of us there's very few things that i'm uncomfortable talking about and that is the gift of time that is the gift of getting older um i i would never even gone into music had it not been for my dad's alcoholism and I've said this so many times that good things come out of bad things. But because he was drunk all the time, I avoided him. And I ended up in the basement. Record player was down there, my mom's old guitar. Um, just playing all this vinyl and learning. I still, to this day, can't read music or write. You know, I don't know the sticks and the dots. I don't know any theory. Really? No, nothing. I just play by ear. I play guitar and piano, but I have no idea what I'm playing. That's fucking incredible. <laughs> So I wonder what I would have done had my dad been this stand-up guy that was at the dinner table every night. I wouldn't have gone down there. And would I have found it? I don't know. It's those big cosmic questions that elude you. But, you know, I, I never thought I had a problem with alcohol. I knew from the time I was like 14 or 15, I, I, I remember having that first drink. I think it was like spiced rum or something like that. I was in the backseat of a car and there was a Mickey being passed around and I took a swig. You know, I was kind of scared and it just went down my throat and I, I immediately thought, I love this. I love this feeling. And that is a, <laughs> that's alcohol. That's addiction. I mean, that's mm. what it is. And I think it was always there waiting like a genetic time bomb going off. And I never wanted to be like my dad. I never wanted to abuse alcohol or use it as a crutch or any of that. But I did. I, I abused it my whole adult life. I had periods of sobriety. I was very careful with my work. Um, although many people over the years saw me really drunk. Uh, I had my friends picking me up off the ground a lot. I know that they were so concerned and brokenhearted for me. And I also think they realized that it was something I had to come to in my own. I had lots of conversations with people like, you know, you should slow down and take it easy. Or do you really need that other glass of wine? I remember lots of evenings like that. But for me, you know, I was tired. My body felt terrible. My mom had Alzheimer's. My dad had passed away. And I just thought, I have a choice to make here. I can either go down this road of darkness and, and hopelessness, or I can stand up. I can look after my mother, and I can get sober, and I can save my own life. And I can't, I just know that it was something other than me. I'm not a particularly religious person. And, um, but I had ended up in the hospital with heart things. And the nurse said to me, how much do you drink? And I said, a lot. And she said, your heart doesn't like it, Jan. Her name was Nancy Clark. And that sentence, as benign as that sounds, 
struck something like lightning in me. Your heart doesn't like it. And I thought, I don't like it either. Mm. And I just never turned back. So I've I'm been sober. I'm going into year six now. But I would have died. And I knew I was dying. I was having lots of heart issues, my blood pressure, weight, nutrition. I was just barely getting through. And people are always like, I didn't even realize it. You seem so fine. And that's what blows my mind, Mark, is I had this facade on that was so convincing. I had everyone so convinced that I was okay. Uh, that's the scary part about addiction to me. Terrifying. Is what a, what a masquerade it is. Well, what, I mean. From, it's, it's exhausting. It is exhausting keeping absolutely. it up. Absolutely. And first and foremost, I mean, as, as a friend, I'm very grateful for your decisions. I know that all of your friends are, and I know that all of your fans are also very grateful for your decision. But imagine the generational perpetuate, like perpetuating that generational mask, whether one was darker and more aggressive, yours was the happy face mask of like, everything's actually okay. I've learned to live in this mask. And I know that as I say it, because I was that person my entire adult life from 14 years old until five years ago myself, God. where people would be like, I can't believe this overachieving 13 businesses, every award under the sun, right? And I was yeah. terrifyingly depressed and so <laughs> sad all the time, but could do the self-deprecating humor to a point where people just called me witty. And I was like, you don't understand that this is all a cry for help. And I, I just really admire um, yeah. the stance, but also the share. Because societally, this is how we celebrate. This is how we, every single thing we do is attached to the bottle. And I want to make sure that I put a disclaimer in here. I do know people who have very healthy relationships with alcohol. Me too. Uh, I have a cocktail bar. I have a brewery. Like, I believe. One drink a week. Sure. Like, I and and I, I envy that. I, I don't have any friends that are abusive yeah. drinkers. I don't Same. have one. Yeah. And, but for me, one's too many, a million's never enough. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's literally, that's the math. And it is many times as I've like tried to attempt oh. it again, even in relapse, just being like, the addiction is so deep that I can almost taste. When you say the spice rum, I can taste it in my throat. I can taste yeah. it. And there's a part of me responding to you being like, hey, you know, maybe. No, there is no maybe. You get to either inhabit your soul and your body or you don't. There's, there's one choice. Uh, and so addiction, you know, for anybody out there listening, it, it, it is such a worthy path if you feel like any of this resonates with you um, to, to just find out what the other side looks like because your beauty, your light, your intentionality, your ability to show up, uh, for the people that care about you is so, so critical. And also how you've and you can do it. You can do it. You can yeah, do it. Yeah, you can. You definitely can do it. You hundred percent can. So I've got one more question and this is, you know, I'm sitting in front of turntables as we have this conversation and music has been very close to my life, my whole life. Um, and it is a healing force and every event that we do forward facing whether it's a street level barbecue for street and trench folks we have musicians play you know whether we're doing an online 
like we did last Christmas with you, having you sing Fireside cracked so many people open to be able to see themselves and receive messages. And this is something you're so vocal about. Um, but for those who haven't heard you talk about music and its healing properties, I think given the layer that you don't write it or read it, it just makes it so much more exciting for me. I'm like, yes, I don't do theory either. I just do energy and practice. Like, say, can, if you could just share with us your love of music and, and then also what's coming with this record. I think music for me has been such a steadfast message. Um, not so very long ago, I saw a photograph of a drop of water uh, with a sound, sound that was put through a drop of water. And this molecular design, the symmetry on this drop of water because of music, a musical note like a C sharp or a, a, a D or a G, every droplet had its own fantastical design and I don't think I've ever gotten over a visual of a musical note it's something sunk into me as an adult that was kind of a a, a reaffirming idea of what magic there is in everything but in music in particular because it's in it's around us everywhere bird song to me is one of the most beautiful, comforting sounds to hear in the morning of a new day and a new hope and, and a, a, a rebooting that everything that you've done, you can start again. That's what birds do for me. And I just music has saved me time and time again, just pick me up and push me forward, not only as a creator of music, but I've been able to enjoy and be cured by other people's music. Like I was a kid that would play a Carpenter's song over and over and over again, and my troubles lifted away. And I think there is a science to it. There is a spirituality to it. There's a biology to it. Children are more social. They're, they're healthier. They think better. They do better in school. They have less addiction. There is, a, there is something within music that changes uh, the human outlook. It lifts us. And it's a very, very important part of uh, a young person's education. It must be reinstated into public edu education. It has to be part of the curriculum. It's something we share. Every human being on this planet shares the love and the joy of music. I have never met anyone that doesn't love music. Right. Right. I don't think anybody could gravitate towards you without that energy, which is also in of itself. You know, what, what are you connected to, how and why? Music galvanizes friendships, relationships, creates friends out of strangers on a dance floor. Like it just, it is so incredibly important for us to be able to convene and share it and have somebody hold it. And I was, I was saying earlier today, in arts, so when you say it has to go back into schools, STEAM, not STEM, is something we say all the time. The A in, in STEAM being the arts are so critical to everything in education, yep. to cracking us open to be able to learn more and to understanding through yep. song, the songs of everything, of every challenge from first world wars through to slavery and everything else. There is music that accompanies that, that allows us to become educated through the lens of an experience tonally. 
like the tone that's coming through somebody, whether it's rap music, which I deeply love, and funk and soul, whether that, the Chuck D's of the world, the public enemy, stand up and say, I got a letter from the government the other day. I opened a Reddit and said they were suckers in 1989. And just talking about like, that's the lived experience that somebody is sharing through to you in an educational manner. And when it strikes you, the physiology, you know, your parasynthetic, getting goosebumps on your eyelids, there's there's almost nothing more moving in, in this world than seeing that or visuals or feeling it and visually seeing nature and they're symbiotic. And so the gift that we give through music and the gift that we can receive through music is so, so powerful. You shared and sang those songs for us in December, as I mentioned. And when you did, I'm transported to some of my greatest memories, right? So I'm back in that space of driving at a certain time yeah. in a summer that I remember fondly when all of the rest of it might have been a mess, that particular moment was not. So it's a gift that you that you give us. Yeah. And so what does this new album, with all of the learnings that Jan Arden has and this wisdom that we speak of, that of course comes through in the pen. Of course it comes through in the chord structure. What are we what are we gonna hear? It's so much about where I came from, you know, the the having COVID as a backdrop to everything. You know, it, it isolated me even more, but I was able to work with a, an old colleague of mine that we had been estranged for a long time. And we wrote a lot of music together, but the record is called Descendant. And it's 15 tracks, which is double of what I normally do. I usually do 10 songs and then I walk away from it. But there wasn't a song that I could part wow. with. And I just said to my manager, Bruce Allen, I, there's a story here. And I know people don't listen to stories anymore, but I do. Yeah. And so this is what I need to do. And they were very supportive. Universal Music was very supportive of letting me tell the story. But I wrote about my dad and I wrote about my great-grandmother and I wrote about my parents. I mean, nothing... It's very metaphorical. Like, I, I don't think it's the songs people can take away their own ideas of what the songs are. But for me, it was about that lineage and about where I've come from and, and about going forward and just standing on the ground and, and being able to take responsibility for who I am and where I'm headed, what I've done, how I've treated people, how I've treated mm. myself um, that has to be part of it too. I have to apologize to my own self. Uh, and I didn't think that was possible. I didn't, I didn't think that was part of the, you know, part of our story. I think, you know, we have to make amends to everyone around us, but then I realized, no, I have to make amends to mm -hmm. myself too. So, but the record I think is beautiful. I worked with Bob Rock and I worked with Russell Broom, who is, they're both just fantastical, whimsical, mystical, sage men. And they're good men. And I'm so happy to be able to have done this record. Um, it's, it's about COVID. It's about not knowing where you're going, but that's yeah. okay. Because you don't always have to know where you're going. You don't always have to plan everything out. Just stay where you are. My God, my mother's Alzheimer's okay. taught me that. There was no past. There was no pre. There was only that second that she was standing in. Oh, I cannot wait to give it a listen. And two things that I want to reflect. The first one is um, 
I've had people apologize to me that don't love themselves. And it feels like half an apology. It feels, it doesn't feel real. Like it feels like there's a lot of work to do behind that apology. Like holler at me when you've done the work for you. Like, cause if you don't love yourself, you can't do anything period. You know, it's just, it's, it's so hard. Those masks will come back. The reason you drink will come back. Yeah. You got to do the work and we're taught, you know, especially, especially in, you know, the British colonized spots, you know, tall poppy syndrome and, you know, oh, that guy's an egomaniac or that girl's, you know, all caught up in her ego. And it's like, we don't get taught self-love or, you know, the ability to celebrate the wins or the things that are so important to us because we're all supposed to, to draw a line. And that bleeds over into our acceptance of and forgiveness of ourselves. We have to be able to forgive ourselves. You can't go back. There's no way to do it. So you destine yourself to a life of misery if you refuse to just show that same. You're the first person to put a jacket on and help anybody. We know that about you, Jan. But watching you put the jacket on for yourself has been more more healing for the people who you may have felt you misaligned uh, or maligned rather. Um, it's just it's so, so, so important. And the second one I want to reflect is attention span. And this is, this is, you know, we're being pushed this by media all the time. And I'm certain anybody who tuned into this 41 minutes ago has listened to every single word of it. And that's not my ego speaking. It's that this conversation is important. It's what we don't have time or attention span for is the nonstop barrage of shit that doesn't matter when everything should matter. We're at a critical point in the world in our time that we need to be investing our ears and our souls and our like everything we can into making things better for ourselves and others. And so I think that our attention span is short because it's just consistently nonsense. But when something is beautiful, like a 15-track record that tells a whole life and generational lives, I have no question we're going to listen to it front to end. And I got one final question for you. Um, and I feel like we just got started. <laughs> That's it a good really conversation. Is, I, I just genuinely so appreciate you. I appreciate the way you show up in the world. Oh, it, it, right back yeah. at you, Mark. You know the the service to to live a life of service, but to also live a life where you have personal joy and and happiness and bliss. You know that they have to they have to coexist, really don't do. they? I can't I can't be an effective um, advocate for animal welfare. It's a very difficult thing as you know, dealing with broken people and broken systems. And, you know, when you look at animal cruelty all the time, human cruelty mm -hmm. all the time, um, it can steal your sleep, it can steal your joy. And I have really learned that I have to find balance. I can't visualize all that horrible stuff all the time. I can't live in that place or I won't be able to do my work. I won't be able to do anything. I won't be any help to anyone to live in a place where it's breaking my heart all the time. And I'm still learning that. I'm getting there. But Thank you, Mark, for for having me and for being so kind to me, um, so supportive. Uh, it's an honor to be on your inaugural program, and uh, I, I can't wait for people to to glean things and practices from your from your wisdom. And it, it's hard learned. You you've come to it by making a lot of wrong turns and that's 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 the reality that's the truth of of what you speak so thank you for shining a bit of that yeah, light on me absolute honor to hold space with you and thank you i allowed that to land instead of deflecting it which is the work that <laughs> the work that is happening at all times yeah. right we always say to people by not accepting somebody's compliment you dishonor them 
You dishonor you them. And so we don't want to dishonor others, right? You and do. I honor you. So accepted and 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 really appreciated. And the Good. question I was going to ask you, you you just answered, which is what what can you share with somebody? And if you feel like adding a little more, please do. With anybody who's listening right now, the point of this whole thing, the reason I'm investing my time and energy in it is I want to be able to help people see themselves building a better life. And so is there anything that you'd like to add in closing on that? The, the only thing I could possibly, I mean, and I could also talk to you for a long, long time, is if you are truly kind to yourself and you take time for yourself to forgive old things, stupid conversations, you know, little failures, just embarrassments, shames that you've dragged around, if you can be kind to yourself, I'm telling you, you will be kind to other people. When you see people striking out, being mean, being being belligerent, being aggressive, there's no self-appreciation. You know, they may come across like, oh, I'm all that and I'm right and I'm this. I, I don't think there's anything there but but hurt. And I know it's a cliche, but but really people that are hurt, they hurt other people, they hurt animals, they hurt their jobs, they hurt their, their chances, they hurt everything. But when you, can, when you can be kind to yourself, you will bring that to other people. It's as simple as that. And people always say, well, how do you, how do you start doing that? Where do you begin? You begin with that conversation and you repeat it to yourself because that's the longest conversation you're ever going to have with anyone, and you know that, Mark, yeah. is yourself. It's you. It sure is. So make it a good one. <laughs> At least entertain yourself and start to feel a little, right? <laughs> exactly. Man. But be be easy on yourself. Yeah. Be easy on yourself, and and you too, Mark. You you put a lot out there. I I hope you're always taking that time for you. I uh, I am definitely trying to to walk my talk. And this is part of it. This is the medicine Good. right here that I, I require for selfish reasons. These conversations, of course, help to, to guide that rest. So, so much love. Thank you so much for spending the time with us. Um, listeners, follow Jan on everything. I mean, honestly, it's it's so good. Uh, Beware. Be, be zero aware. Join, join the other side and, and you, know, you know, support the causes because critical mass matters. It, it really matters in pushing things that we care about home when you show up for us. And whether that be as simple as a like or, you know, a retweet or whatever that may, may yes. be, it means that the fight that we're fighting, it, it matters. So appreciate you. Be super safe out there. I look forward to seeing you in real life very soon. Me too, Mark. We'll see you soon.